You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Good morning to the World Football Program. Thank you, everybody, for listening in today. You've got myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Rob DeCline and Steve Atkins in the studio. Morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Penny. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. If you miss any part of the show, you can go to our website, the World Football Program, and catch the podcast, which Nick Templeman will put up at some point after the show. Thank you, Nick. This is Miranda's dad. Yes, that Templeman name, which is becoming quite famous around Western Australia for lots of things like the sports minister and young Matilda's goalkeeper. We're um, pretty good at producing some national goalkeepers in this state, actually, Rob. Yes, absolutely. Zara Board. Zara Board from Suviaco, where you're landing, Steve. That's right. Um, Tracy Wheeler, who's at my club, and uh, Miranda Templeman. And I'm sure there's others that'll come along, or uh, Morgan Aquino, great goalkeeper. We're doing really well here in West Australia. Something in the water over this way. All very good. The week has looked pretty amazing football-wise. Wrapped up everything locally, I think, now um, into awards nights kind of space, uh, which will wrap up over the next month with some pretty splashy affairs across different clubs and um, looking towards World Cup for the men's and uh, still a few games to play for the women's leading into next year's World Cup. Uh, the What do they call it when they draw the groups? For the Women's World Cup, the that's draw. the draw, the draw <laughs> that's happening this afternoon on Channel 10, I think it is, and also in Northbridge, it'll happen. Uh, Football West is putting something on the Northbridge Plaza big screen there. So if you look on the Football West board, if you want to do that in Northbridge tonight, yeah. and go and find out who Australia is playing in the World Cup for the women mm. next year. Unfortunately, the, not here in Perth. Uh, the, uh, no, no, the but Matilda's, um, though, that is. yeah, I know, yeah. Um, 
do hop on to the World Football Programme Facebook page if you want and load your team or club news there or any comments about anything you're quite welcome to like the page and comments we do appreciate that Peter Wright is one of our avid Facebook posters appreciate all your comments and news that you link in there Pete thank you thank you our guests for the show this week include Teo Palazzeri who is a Paramount Football Match commentator we'll be talking about A-League Socceroos Ballon d'Or World Cup whatever we can fit in in that conversation Neil Bennett from Beyond 90 and yes Perth Red Star He's the media man there. We'll talk about women's football, impending league coming up for, I still call it W League, but the A League women. I, I, I don't like that. I, yeah. I don't like saying that. Um, we'll have a chat to Cameron Hart, who is the CEO, Events Management Queensland. That's a, a long spiel. It's about the Pan Pacific Masters Games coming up. I think there's been a bit of a hiatus with COVID in the leagues or competitions games over the past few years so we'll have a chat about how that's gone it's one of the biggest competitions in the world at world masters level and if you see any of the online posts about the masters games in australia you'll see that there's like 10 15,000 people attend these games it's absolutely incredible it's just kind of reflects the growth of masters sports not just about soccer and football it's about sports around australia and the world so we'll have a chat to cameron about that and then we'll have a chat to Jim Webb, the next Goal Wins podcaster. He'll be new to the program and we'll talk about the Men's World Cup, profile one of the groups and his lovely accent will no doubt be a little bit biased towards some of the teams in that group. So, <laughs> guys, before we move on to um, our first guest, Steve, wearing a lovely new shirt there. Tell us about that. Yeah, the new shirt is Subiaco, which um, was announced last night. Um, yeah, I've been speaking to Subi over the last two to three weeks with Addie Zurich, um, Greg Farrell, who's also a regular on this show, and Drew Palmer, the president. And yeah, for our discussions, I just really liked the, the vision and the philosophy of the club and how they want to promote the women's game next year in particular. And yeah, good to be on, on board with that. And a big thank you to our sponsors and partners and Greg Farrell's part of that with Futsal WA. So we know how his philosophy goes. I think it's a good team. I hope you do well there. Yeah, it, I think um, MPLW towards the end of this season that Subi was probably one of the fast improving teams and played some exciting football. Absolutely. And whilst I was at Balcata, they beat us twice in four days, unfortunately, uh, which they do keep reminding me about. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, definitely an improving team. Uh, they've got good philosophies around the, the younger girls coming through over the next two, three, four years, so it's good to be on board. Yep, and uh, also we'll mention at this point too our other partners and sponsors, uh, Oswest Fencing and Rod Iron and Gate and Fence Hardware, just like a lot of trades in construction, they're absolutely getting hammered with business and people doing all these home projects out of the um, back of COVID and coming into Christmas period. So thanks, everyone, for your sponsorship and partnership there. And also everybody who becomes a member of the program costs less than 60 bucks. You can ring the station during the week or hop online to the Radio Fremantle website. It just helps us as volunteers keep the station going. We um, just raise money and get to air and talk football, which we love doing. Rob, what's your story this week? What news have you got to tell us? Oh, um... Obviously, I'm wearing a lot of hats. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fremantle five-a-side shirt being one yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, bigger and better. Uh, you know, we're growing again, 20% over there. So that's like 250 teams. 
Does that mean more lights next year for the competition so you can get the far back part of the pitch to get a few more pitches yeah. in there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to talk to the council about that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, that's going uh, going really well. Obviously, uh, I have my head is other head is with uh, with Fremantle City. Uh, we also play in the NPL, and we're actually uh, very happy to announce this week that we have a new coach as well in in Faye Chalmers. So. Uh, and, which is really good because we've been promoting females on our committee and and uh, coaches as well. So to have a female NPL coach is 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 obviously very good. And we also have a coach uh, doing the our amateur team last year. So that uh, you know that's that's really positive. I think yep, uh, on the committee. Face come out of the NTC program, that's right? R- that's right. Yep. And uh, the junior Amanda Matilda, so uh, she was you know involved as well. So, so we're very excited about that. Um, so that's the news at, at our end. And then obviously I also wear the head of the, the Women's Standing Committee. Uh, and I, I alluded already at that, that we have, uh, you know, managed together with, with Sara, who did a, uh, did a lot of work at Football West level to, um, to bring the proposals forward and, and do some background research on it. Uh, and that's before the board on Tuesday with some, uh, you know, I consider relatively big changes. So, uh, in the uh, in the junior girls, uh, now don't launch into that because when we speak to Neil Bennett, I'm sure he'll want to get into the discussion about that after <laughs> we right. speak to Teo. So just hold that thought, all right? All right. So <laughs> and, and the women's as well. I keep the, I keep the information about yep. the women's self. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have a big discussion about that. So just, uh, you know, we've just gone past the Ballon uh, Dior this week and, um, uh, you know, what else has been across your radar? Steve, news of the week for you? Probably Ronaldo, isn't it, at Manchester United? The little walk down the aisle thing. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, I think it's sad in a way, a player of his calibre that's been so good for so many years and it's just not ending that well for him at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully he'll bounce back. Maybe at Manchester United, maybe somewhere else. Yeah. And Rob, what about yourself? What's your thoughts on football for the week? Uh, Well, obviously all the awards uh, nights which we had here uh, in in WA and and internationally the Ballon d'Or. I mean... uh, you know the Belgium goalkeeper there complaining he ended up being seventh on the on the list. I think that's uh, that was interesting as well. So being uh, on the list is pretty amazing. That, yeah. that's absolutely <laughs> you should be proud. But yeah, it's it's not often that a goalkeeper wins or a defender. Put it this way. I yeah. think only once before hasn't a goalkeeper won the best player of the year award. I think. I'm going to go back in my memories now, but I think it's just one and someone's going to correct me there. I think, I think we might go to a break and we'll come back and have a chat to Teo. Teo might know. We'll see. This is Penn and Rob and Steve on the World Football Program. Thanks for listening in and keep listening in. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Oh, 
Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Pen Robin Steve in the studio and Taya Pelazeri, who is a match commentator with Ten and Paramount these days. Good morning, good afternoon, Taya. How are you? Very good afternoon. Good thanks. Thank you for joining us. Really do appreciate your time. We were just having a chat about the Ballon d'Or, which happened this week, and um, it absolutely escapes me. Benzema is the is the winner after he's been an amazing player for Real Madrid, and it strikes me that. Spanish teams have had players in the Ballon d'Or for I don't know how many years. Surely they must have presented the most Ballon d'Or winners out of Barcelona, maybe Real Madrid for I don't know how many years now. Yeah, it, it perhaps speaks to the fact that even though the Premier League is a, a global marketing juggernaut, uh, there is resentment towards English clubs and perhaps towards the English press. I mean, it's a journalist-voted award and maybe there is that jealousy that still exists towards England's uh, imperialistic history in, in the world of football and its sort of self-appointed custodianship of the game. And I think that's probably, you know, been misleading because I suspect that uh, if you're having the same league win the Ballon d'Or for almost a decade straight now, it, it perhaps speaks to the fact that either the voters are wrong or they're just not looking hard enough if they are actually the right people for the job. That's a big call. Yeah. Yep, so, yeah, where does that put... I'm thinking of Sam Kerr, and he's finished third how many times, but just to be on that list is pretty amazing, and, you know, third in the world is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's different with the uh, the WSL. I mean, I was referring specifically to the men's award yeah. in the Premier League. You, you'd, think, you'd find it hard to believe that uh, La Liga, where it, it has been a, a duopoly for the last five or six years, and I think Atletico Madrid snuck in there and, and won the title uh, six years ago, uh, that it should have a monopoly on this award. But uh, they did change the way the women's uh, award works with voting. They limited it to the top 50 nations in the world this time around. Uh, I understand that Beth Mead only lost by a single vote to Alexia Pateas, so she would have been the first player from an English club to win the, the women's award ever and the first one to win uh, the award since. Cristiano Ronaldo won it for Manchester United in 2008 and before that, Michael Owen in 2001. So it would have been just the second in 20 years had Beth Mead scored just two extra votes from the uh, the voting judges. And again, uh, Alexia uh, Patelis was from Barcelona, so another Spanish mm. club producing some good footballers, Teo. Yeah, and I think it's largely based on the Champions League because, of course, she missed the Euros. And when she went down injured before the Euros, a lot of people, myself included, assumed that player of the tournament at the Euros would equate to Ballon d'Or winner. And perhaps Beth Mead not being super impressive in the final and, and maybe running out of steam by the end of the tournament, still having impressive enough numbers to be player of the tournament over the six games. But maybe not having a great final might have been just the last thing which tipped people's opinion to go for Pateas and, and her crazy numbers. But again, that's reflected by Barcelona walking the Spanish league, winning all 30 games with a goal difference of more than 100. And, and again, I would question how many of the voters actually watch the Spanish League 
rather than simply look at the goals and assists. Yep. Yeah, and if we look at uh, Sam Kerr finishing third, and I don't know what the numbers were between Beth Meader and Alexia uh, Patelis, but um, you know, with Australia, we've not had the best results. The Asian um, Confederation in Australia's not been a, a you know a killer nation, which probably is a bit of a killer for Sam in terms of she's done really well with her professional career, but not so well for her national career. Or I should say, Australia's not done so well in terms of numbers compared to some of the other um, nominees where in their, like Beth Mead in England, they've done really well. So it's, yeah, Sam's got a bit of work to do. I think Matildas have got a bit of work to do to help Sam out there. Hmm. Well, I think the issue for Sam Kerr is you look at who she scored against this calendar year, Indonesia, Thailand, the Philippines and New Zealand. Hardly a who's who of world football and can't help but think that maybe if, the full-strength Matildas had played that friendly against Spain before Patea did her ACL, then maybe that was Kerr's chance. And, and, you know, the Matildas had their reasons for sitting players out of that friendly. They wanted to give them the off-season. And uh, Spain perhaps blame playing in that international window as one of the reasons Pateas went down injured. So, yeah, it's a balancing act. But as far as Sam Kerr is concerned, she hasn't had the greatest start to the club season. She's only scored one in five games now. So, I, I don't know. The... Uh, the Chelsea team around her are going to be equally as important to Sam winning more individual awards in the future as the Australian national team is. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? And Sam's played on a few different continents now and has been top goal scorer on each of those continents. So she's got the goods, um, but the level of the quality of women's football is rising. Steve, you got some comments on that? Do you watch football in different continents and just kind of gauge the, the growth in it? Predominantly just the English Premier League. Um, I'm a tragic Watford fan as well, so we'll, we'll move on from that one. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, certainly Sam Kerr, is the, she's the benchmark, isn't she, for the Matildas? And I think, as we said, if she's got that support around her, then she'll hopefully get some more individual awards. But yep. it's tough out there, some good female players across the world. Yeah. Um, Tao, moving on to the Socceroos um, Group D, coming up for the World Cup in Qatar this year, which is only next month. It's just so so near. Um, how do you think we're, we're looking for you know, landing into that space? There's no more international games now. It's just a matter of um, condensing the group. What's your thoughts on things? Gee, it's not looking good because a lot of our first-choice soccerers aren't playing for their clubs, and the ones that are playing are getting injured. Like, to have Nathaniel Atkinson go down with his ankle injury, apparently not as serious as first thought, so... He probably will still make the 26 for the World Cup, but this Iden Grostich injury that he suffered playing for Verona, uh, the Italian media are reporting that he won't be back until the new year, Ooh. but they, have it, they haven't reported the nuance of whether that is because of the World Cup break or whether the injury has ruled him out until the new year. And I don't think the Australian media has made any headway on reporting it in the Australian press as to whether or not it's ruling him out for the World Cup because... If you use Google Translate and you go with what the Italian media is saying, it remains pretty ambiguous. So <laughs> I think I, I, I think that it would be he, he would probably be the one player you might take injured to the World Cup because we have a 26-man squad. But if it comes out that he categorically can't play and is ruled out, then it's a huge blow and it leaves a massive hole in a, a midfield that already had a few question marks over it. It, it ramps up the pressure on Aaron Moy to find fitness and, and match sharpness for Celtic and it, it leaves the Socceroos without someone that can actually put his foot on the ball and, and play a pass and that's probably, you know, 
going to mean that our, our game style will be even more just hit it long and hope for the best and hit the channels and try to catch teams on an off day rather than, than do anything other than maybe rely on our fitness and our speed to hopefully catch teams that have not been well prepared for a mid-season World Cup. But with that said, all of those intangibles don't really seem to be going in Australia's favour given that a lot of our best 11 won't be match fit or sharp given they're not playing for their clubs at the moment. So does that open up some space for players in the A-League who over the next nth number of weeks can show the goods? Not really. I think the, the A-League players are, are just about out of time themselves. I know there's yeah, been a lot of victory fans question-wise and Jake Brimmer in the mix for the Socceroos, but he's hardly started the season in fantastic form. Um, and, and as far as other A-League-based midfielders go, no, I think that someone like a, a Cammy Devlin or a, a Callum Elder will probably be the, the beneficiary of uh, a Hrustich injury, but I, I don't think there are any winners from a Hrustich injury if we can't take him to the World Cup at all. What do you think, guys, about the midfield, Steve, Rob? Anyone outstanding for you? No, I can't see anyone here from the, the A-League, uh, you know, stepping up. Maybe we have some players still overseas, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, there are plenty of Australians playing overseas, so uh, mm. it's not my job to scout all of them, and you don't hear really a lot about them. So, so yeah. What do you reckon, Teo, in terms of midfielders? Who would be your ideal midfield for the Socceroos? My ideal midfield and, and realistically what we're going to pick are, you know, pro- probably two different things. Uh, Moy is going to play regardless, yeah. so he- he'll be in there. Uh, Jackson Irvine will, will 100% be in there. And if it's not Brustich who's the third player, then I suspect uh, Cam Devlin could make a run. Kenny Dougal might get his hopes revived because he played in that friendly against Jordan before the two World Cup qualifiers, but then we didn't even see him on the bench for the actual World Cup qualifiers. But he's, he's been playing for Blackpool, and that's his advantage, that where other players are stuck on the bench or are not getting much game time. I mean, really, it's, it's Tom Rogic. Rogic would be great to come back in, but uh, it has whatever caused him to leave the Socceroos qualifying camp been resolved. It, it remains a complete mystery. It's not. Sometimes, you know, journalists and media figures will know the backstory and will talk around it because they, it's personal or because there's, there's issues that aren't clear. This one is actually just a genuine mystery and no one knows. Like, the, the real story is not out there. No one actually knows what the reason was that Tom Rogic walked away from Socceroos camp. So hopefully uh, his game time with West Brom increases. He's been used as a sub in recent games. And it means that he'll make our 26 for the World Cup and it'll be Moy, Irvine, Rogic. Maybe that'll be the answer. Maybe, yeah. It is a mystery, absolutely. I'm not sure about Tom Rogic. I like his creativity, but in terms of um, strength and consistency over time, yeah, I don't know. I just have a couple of question marks with him there. Uh, No one doubts his skills and his creativity, but um, I don't know, is playing for the Socceroos and in... The, um, the space that playing for a national team is, does that work for him? I don't know. Beats me. I mean, every, every time we've needed um, Aaron Moy, he's broken a leg to get there. We play him half fit until he gets fit and then, then he looks like he does the goods and he's solid and he needs other people around him to be creative because he's just that solid kind of player who will just hit that pass, get someone's feet, get in their space or whatever. But you need other people around him to stop us playing that 
hit the ball over the top and just get it to the striker's running kind of scenario you presented before, which I really don't like in my head. <laughs> and it's really easy to predict and we're not going to get out of our group stage if we do that. No. So, mm. so um, moving over to the A-League, uh, Taoni, two rounds in. Um, what's taken your fancy uh, about the competition so far? Uh, I, I think that Western United's slow start to the season, uh, they got their first point last night, that draw against MacArthur, but MacArthur had been one of the good stories. They're still unbeaten. I think the crowd situation for a lot of the clubs hasn't been great. So Sydney FC at home, Melbourne Victory at home with the derby tonight. These are going to be the, the games that sort of get people's attention and, and get them enthused. And I don't think there's ever been any real doubt over a big blue or a derby in the A-League. It's kind of, it's a scenario like last night where it's Western United against MacArthur or it's when Victory or Sydney FC post, you know, a Newcastle or a Perth or Central Coast or Wellington, that's where the league is probably going to be tested. So I think the, the most important thing is just to absolutely make the most of the big occasions when they're here and get the eyeballs on the league because that's what will get people enthused about the full season and all the games. And I suppose with uh, Garen Quoll, you know, his farewell tour before he leaves the league, we only get to see him a couple more times. Uh, Nestory Irin Kunda is someone I want to see playing more for Adelaide United. Uh, didn't appear uh, for longer than a short cameo last weekend. So there are still some really interesting storylines going through the league. But, I mean, at this stage, two weeks in, it's kind of... It, it is the same story in that the big teams, Victory, Sydney, hopefully Wanderers, are getting their act together. They're getting their fan bases re-engaged and getting those crowds back, not just for the big occasions, but all the way through the campaign. Yeah, you said the crowd thing a couple of times in your conversation. I looked at the stats last night and there was quite a few games that only got about 3,000 people to the games and then there was, um, I forget which game it was, probably a Melbourne victory game was about 18,000. So it's really varied with the uh, amount of attendance. What do you put that down to? Uh, I think that just the the clubs that had established fan bases are uh, trying to bring them back and the expansion clubs are, are battling. But we know that when the Mariners good, the Mariners fans show up. We know that when Newcastle's good, the Newcastle fans show up. So it was good that Newcastle found... Oh, sorry, I know you're in Perth, but it was good that Newcastle found a way to get that late winner last week just to send the fans home happy and get a bit of buzz around the team. And I guess specific to the glory, you know, I, I do wonder if Macedonia Park might turn out to be actually a, a bit of a, an inspired choice because if it feels full, if there's a good buzz around the ground, that might you know, have a, a bit of momentum going back to the bigger stadium and you know the experience of being that little bit closer to the team and, and experiencing sort of a, a smaller club-type atmosphere might get people sort of re-engaged with Perth Glory and remind them why they love the game. So I'm hoping that can work out. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, there'll be people that will miss out because the capacity of the ground is such that it's nowhere near mm. HBF Park, but um, I reckon it'll be full. It'll be cranking. There'll be a lot of people with cars on the verges in the area. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of hope that translates to inspiring glory to greater heights. That's what I reckon. Yeah, I, I think I just the experience even of a lockout can create that sort of mystique and buzz around the team that Perth Glory is an event again, even if it's been perhaps artificially created by the stadium situation. So, And, you know, let's not forget, Perth did have a massive crowd there for Sturridge's one game that we got before COVID disruption last season. So we know that Perth Glory, again, when they're a winning team, they show up. I guess the issue for Perth is they're not necessarily going to be a winning team 
on the field this year. So this might be the sort of thing off the field that keeps people connected and hopefully they can start to see the beginning of a new journey as the, the team looks to refresh and reinvigorate. And obviously there's been no shortage of opportunities given to young players, many of them in the deep end, and hopefully that results in a few fines. Yeah, I wonder what the shed's going to do. I, wonder, I don't have a picture in my head at Macedonia Park where the shed's going to situate. Sitting in the cars again. <laughs> I guess there'll be some interesting scenes whenever you do the match commentary there, Teo. Teo, thanks so much for joining us today. really appreciate your time. Keep up the great work and hopefully we'll chat to you again during the season. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Good on you. See ya. Teo Pelizzeri, who's Channel 10 and Paramount match commentator, does the the Socceroos, Matildas as well, A-League. Um, yeah, he's come a long way. We used to chat to him when he was doing uh, match commentary in the Victorian Premier League many, many, many years ago. So he's got a good voice. Great for match commentary. That's <laughs> what you want. We're going to go to a break and come back and chat more football, of course, with Neil Bennett. This is Penn, Steve and Rob on the World Football Programme. Thanks for joining us. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Programme. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn, Steve and Rob in the studio and on the line we've got Neil Bennett, Beyond 90 sports writer. Would you like me to introduce you with any other strings to the bow, Neil? Uh, no, I think that's enough, Penn. That keeps me going. Um, I'm obviously attached with Perth Red Star, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll just stick with the Beyond 90, I think, for now. Cool. So let's kick off with, um, I'd like to say, uh, free tickets available for anyone under the age of 16, or is it just females? I think it's anyone under the age of 16 who wants to go and watch any of the A-League W games this year. So if you go to Macedonia Park or you travel across Australia, um, you can apply for a, a pass online that gets you to see all the games without cost, which is brought to you by the managers of the A-League. Well done to that. It's good if you can get into Macedonia Park. Well done on that too, because uh, hopefully it'll be a tight fit this year, Neil. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know how they're going to handle the parking because, as, uh, as many of us would know, there's only one way in there, and it's yep. uh, through some suburban streets. So that could be quite an interesting one if they do start to get some big crowds. Fingers yeah. crossed they do. Well, yeah, absolutely for the men's and the women's games. Uh, do you know where the glory? 
women are training at the moment? Um, they're down at Fremantle, um, at South Fremantle, but they're also, I think they're also training at Beale Park, so they're, they're split between the two venues. I'm not quite sure how the scheduling goes, but, yeah, that, that seems to be the, uh, the situation at the moment. Right. Okay. Interesting. So let's move across to um, we've got the draw for the Matildas, not Matildas, the Women's World Cup this afternoon, the pot draw. <laughs> um, I don't know how many teams are in it, but uh, you know we can't be drawn against another Asian confederation. There's four pots. Um, what should we look forward to there, Neil? Um, well, from a Perth point of view, um, I think it would be amazing if England were to somehow get into Perth. I can't see that. Um, but I think my understanding is that there should be a team from pot one, which is New Zealand, Australia, the, the Americans, Swedes, English, Germans, French and the Spanish um, will probably should be playing in Perth and or Adelaide um, again uh, I'm not entirely sure about this but I think that teams that are playing in Perth will also be playing some games in Adelaide so they're not going to have to base themselves in Perth so there'll be a degree of movement around there but it'd be great uh, to get a team from pot one in there and I, I think that's the way that it should go um, there's still three places up for grabs there's going to be a playoff tournament in January in New Zealand and there's still three places up for grabs there but um, there's some exciting prospects in pot two as well. Can you imagine having the Italians here? Um, how good would that be? Um, and then maybe getting the Vietnamese community involved from pot three and uh, the Philippines community from pot four. Uh, what a draw. If you could get England, Italy, um, the, uh, which ones did I say? Oh, uh, Vietnam. Vietnam and uh, and, the, and the Philippines, although I'm not sure that the Vietnamese and the Philippines would necessarily be allowed to be in the same draw. So maybe the Nigerians from Pop will get some of the African countries in, or, or even Morocco or Zambia. So wh whoever we get, I think um, I know from the fact, that trying to apply for tickets myself, that they're selling out really, really quickly. So um, I think we're just going to get full houses for the five games that Perth's going to host. Yeah, I understand it, that we can't draw our hosts, so we can't be playing... New Zealand, and we can't be playing anyone in the same confederation. So, no, that's right. And uh, New Zealand will be based in New Zealand uh, for the group games, at least. Anyway, yeah. uh, similarly with Australia, uh, the Matildas will be playing over east all the time, uh, right through. We won't see them here in Perth, um, which is we've come to expect that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's bloody unfortunate. Yeah, I'm very unhappy about yeah. that. Uh, I'm and I, I'm a strong contender that um, Sam Kerr, the captain of the Matildas, she comes from Perth. <laughs> And I'd really like to see her play in Perth. I'm sure she'd love to play in Perth, but there you go. Just my mm, There's only ever been one Matildas game in, in their history in Perth, um, and that was against Thailand, yeah, I think, yeah, in about 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's really, really bad that we don't get to see the top women's international team in Australia playing here in Perth. It's, it's pretty unfortunate. Fingers crossed they'll, they'll change that. Well, in, yeah, uh, in I, the next few years, yeah. Cost effectiveness, I, I guess, the distance across here and the budget and all of that. But uh, on the other hand, you could say, well, maybe if there was a few more games over here, we'd get a few more people watching them and might increase the numbers. And uh, anyway, <sighs> moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, what's your thoughts and this open discussion? What's your thoughts on how the Matildas look without Sam Kerr playing in it? Um, well, the results over the last two games have been pretty good. Um, 
I think Sam is obviously absolutely crucial to to the game plan. Um, you, you just can't not have her playing. But in a in a tournament like the World Cup, you, you're going to need to switch up and, and change things around. And I think yeah. that's what Gustafsson has has been doing. Yeah. Um, I would imagine by now he's pretty much more or less settled on what his um, best sixteen are going to be. But um, I think they take a squad of twenty four into the uh, into the tournament. So there's still you know, some other players that may or may not pop up. But I would be really really surprised if anybody got into the squad that hasn't already played under Gustafsson. I, th- I think that that's most unlikely. Yeah, um, and the so. biggest thing there is that he, he's looking for styles of play and consistencies that will beat teams. So taking players off like um, Emily Van Egmond and then Sam Kerr and putting other players in and seeing the dynamic dynamic be- between them and the style of play, and if that can be replicated, is very significant, very important. It's also been bloody exciting to watch mm. that happen. Mm. Whew. So um, yeah, I, Chidiak. Yes, has been a real a real boost. Um, Van Egmond has his strengths, but I think Chidiak brings an X factor into the game that yep. you know sometimes you're going to need that to break down teams that maybe want to park the bus. Um, and when we're playing against the, the really top ranked nations, perhaps you want that uh, more sort of um, consistency and stability that Van Egmond gives you. So. There are options in there, and I think it's really good. And uh, Katrina Gorey as well has been absolutely outstanding since she's come back. Yep. Yeah, she has. It's been great. Yeah, I, I like what uh, Gorey and Chidiak bring. They're kind of they're, they're very creative, um, can hit good passes. Katrina Gorey's vision and passing is really good. Um, and Chidiak just is creative, and her fitness is incredible, actually. Her mobility across the park is great, and, you know, that just shakes things up and right. You're right. If we have someone who parks the bus, is she the person that's going to try and break it down? Um, you know, get that one-on-one and then the second player and whatever and have a shot? Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I also think the form of uh, Catley and Ford for Arsenal uh, in the women's uh, league in, in in England and their performance in a Champions League game against PSG was, was incredible. Catley really has, you know, she's stepped right up now and... Uh, she can be considered one of the best defenders in the in the world at the moment, and and Ford is really blossoming uh, yep. at Arsenal, and I think she's she's another player that could be very very dangerous for Australia. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Uh, do you know how Ellie Carpenter's travelling? I believe she's uh, into full rehab. She's running. Uh, it looks like she's out striking the ball as well. So that's a good sign because she's a big miss. Uh, when you're talking about mobility and movement and fitness, there's none more so than Carpenter. Uh, she plays like two players. Yep. Um, so she is a big miss, um, but it looks like she's on track. Now, how much you would get out of her in a tournament just uh, a year or so out from an ACL, that, that remains to be seen. But I've no doubt that if she's fit, she'll be in the squad. Yeah, and would she be that player that you could bring on for part of a game or one game and then maybe miss the next game if fitness is not there? Would that add value to the squad? Probably it would, but who yeah, would yeah, you miss mean, out that, if that was the scenario? Yeah, there's all those variables that uh, Gustafsson and his team have got to think about. Yeah, And it's the presence around the squad too if Carpenter's there with her experience and what she mm. can bring to yep. the team. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, yeah. she's played at the very highest level in Europe and uh, obviously has been a very high levels for the Matildas for a long time as well. So you're right, she, she does bring an awful lot to the game. Yes. 
Let's move on to Perth Glory and the A-League women. Um, the squad's coming together quite nicely. They've started training. They'll be playing at Macedonia Park. The season starts in November. I think Sunday the 11th of November is their first game um, at home. I'm not quite sure if that's the first game of the season. Um, so No, I think that first game they're playing away. Okay. So I think it's another, a little bit, maybe a week after that, their first home game Okay. Uh, at, at Massey Park, I think. So they're only a matter of weeks away before the season kicks in, really. Are we doing enough to promote that out to the community, Neil? I think Perth Glory are, yeah, but it's disappointing. Um, I mean, they're off down to Dunsborough next weekend uh, for a clinic. And whilst that's fabulous for the people in the southwest, they went down to Margaret River last year. Um, if you're going to do that, why are you going back down to the southwest? Why aren't you going out to the gold fields or, or up to the Midwest? Um, so that seems a strange one to me. Um, I've also heard no plans at all of them playing any uh, friendlies against local opposition, be that a WA state team or you know even playing the champions from last year, uh, Red Star. So <laughs> the, it, it's a, <laughs> why not? Yeah, uh, I mean, oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's just that they they did play. Uh, what do they call the challenge? Was it called the Challenge Cup last year? Or I can't remember what it was called. But they they have no. Played... They didn't. They didn't play the state team last year. Was it the year before? I, I, just the year to... before they did. Okay. But they didn't play them at all last year. They played all their warm up games against boys teams. Okay. Um, now, if you're going to be promoting the squad and promoting the game. Surely you would be wanting to play against local women. Um, to get the profile and of the community or, raised, absolutely. Yeah, hmm. You know, and this is this is an ongoing issue with uh, Glory. I mean, the men's team did it. The men's team played against the men's state team. Yep. They also played friendlies against Inglewood. I think they played against them. Is there a reason um, they wouldn't be doing it this year? Like, uh, I don't know, they haven't got their full squad together or dynamics no, and club grounds I, or whatever not available? No, I, I hate to say this, but I think that the um, the feeling is that they're not going to get tested, and so they don't want to play them. Oh, that was a big yes. call. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, that's good for um, the glory and them going into the season feeling very confident. Uh, look, it's. I think it's a missed opportunity. If they don't play against a, a state team, and... Steve would know this, you know, if you're going to pull a state team together, you need, I mean, we're three weeks out from the start of the season. Um, you, you need more time than that to pull a state team together, otherwise it, it does become meaningless. So, and as there's no sign of it, they're going to be away next weekend. Um, I, I would suggest that the, the Glory coaching staff have probably decided that they're going to do the same as they did last season and just play warm-up games against local boys teams, be that Perth Glory Academy teams or something like that to, to tune them up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a missed opportunity to promote that, that within the local community. Um, Do they advertise that, Neil, their pre-league games against boys' teams? Because I, I haven't actually seen them play against any boys' team, but I wouldn't mind mm. seeing that. No, it's all closed. It's all closed uh, closed off. So okay. they're closed sessions. Um, and I think the first season... Uh, in fact, the first season that the Packers was in charge, I don't believe that they played the state team either. They played an intra game they played against themselves uh, with the train-on squad against the full squad. Uh, there were obviously reasons for that because of COVID and Alex only got into the 
into the position about three or four weeks out from the season, so they had a little time to organise things. But this is, you know, the last time that they played against the state team. You're talking now four years. So what does that give the local players uh, who feel that they want to shine, who don't get into train on squads? There's, there's no opportunities for them. Um, does that mean that Perth Glory have got, a, got an obligation to develop local players? I don't know. You could throw that one open for conversation. I'd, I'd like to get the, the views of uh, Steve and Rob on that one. But I, I, I think they do have a role to play, and I think they have a very important role to play. But at the moment, they don't, they don't seem to be picking that up. Yeah, Rob. Uh, Women's Standing Committee Chair, any thoughts? Does that get put on the table at all? No, I think uh, it that would actually be a very good point to bring on because, uh, you know, we need to develop the, the game here in our state, you know. So if they're isolated, what they're obviously doing at the moment, you know, they alienate uh, the rest of the competition. And uh, I think it would be very good for all, all the girls who are playing at the NPL level to be aspiring even, you know, to play either at the glory or at least get some games against them. So Well, we would assume that the coach has been out scouting or someone scouting on his behalf to capture any of the best talent from our local competition to trial with a squad. We would assume that, wouldn't we? Of course we no, would. Yeah. Um, we, we would assume it, but I don't think that's happening. Um, and I think the writing is on the, writing on the wall this season, Neil, that a lot of players went yeah. from the east, sorry, across to the east um, to look at opportunities over there. So if we're not providing opportunities here to maybe... You know, all jokes aside, a red star playing against a Perth Glory in a practice game, then where's the incentive? That's right. Yeah, it? I mean, I, I would ask you, Steve, if you'd had any contact with uh, with the with Glory coaching staff during the season at, at Balcatta. No. No, and there was none at Perth uh, Soccer Club, I know that. None at Fremantle? Uh, there, was, there was none at Fremantle, there was none with Red Star. So uh, you're talking about NCC as well. Um, the top four clubs had very little interaction with the, with the Perth Glory coaching staff. On the other uh, hand, the though, anybody can go and watch a game and not have to contact the coaching staff so they can just go and watch a game and you can catch everything mm. live streaming. Mm. So it's mm. not necessarily that they haven't contacted the club and that means they've been off the table, it just means that they haven't contacted the club. But you should be talking to the coaches, surely, to, to find out who the coaches are saying because they're seeing them week in, week out uh, and at training twice a week. To say, well, this player is showing some real signs of uh, of development. You you need to have a look at this. Mm. Um, there was no sign of any Perth Glory coaches at the grand final, for example, and not just for the grand final for the women, but also uh, the the NPL, but the under twenty ones. The under twenty ones is stacked. That final was stacked full of some of the best talent in WA that we've seen for a very long time in the NTC, mm. um, and yet there was nobody watching them. And I take your point; you can watch it online, Peng, but it's not the same. No way is it the same. You have to be watching it live. Mm. Okay. So, um, how are we going for the squad? Do you know how close we are to finalising numbers? I believe there's another two to come in. Um, I think um, my understanding is that they could be local players, but uh, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be cast iron on that. But I think that's the case. Um, look, it's a little bit older than last year. The average age is 23. The last. This season, last year, the average age was 22. Uh, they've lost two very big players. Uh, they've lost uh, Neelith Jens, the, the Dane, and um, Deborah Ann Delaharp. Um, Delaharp and Neelith are going to be very, very difficult to uh, to replace. I think that that's a big hole, especially um, in that holding midfield area. I know Ella has come in, 
um, and she brings a wealth of experience with her. At Ella Antonio? Um, yeah, sorry, oh, Ella Antonio. But, okay. Yeah, yeah um, but I think the, um, the the left back position is is going to be a tricky one to fill because Delahart gave them a lot from set pieces as well, um, and she was a she was a strong attacking weapon for them down that left flank. What about Lisa Devana? Steve, Neil, any no, thoughts? she's not in it. No. Okay, all right. No, she's not in it. Sarah Carroll is not in it. Um, Gemma Crane is not in it. Um, so there's three WA players are not in it from last season. Okay. And we've got 10 teams this year in the league, so even fixes, no buys. Um, yes, yeah, that's correct. And then we've got another team coming in in 2023, uh, Central Coast Mariners. So, and Steve's point is well made, but the actual numbers of players that went over east, uh, from a from a perspective of new players going over east, I think uh, Abby Green went over there. Um, just trying to remember, uh, Ellie Lamont. Perth Soccer Club, right? Didn't Abby land yeah. back at Perth? No. Didn't she? Abby Green. No, Abby. Okay. She was playing in Sydney. McKen- um, McKenna went across as well. Mm. Uh, Tian McKenna went across. Uh, Isabella Warhead went across. Yeah. Baxter Few went across. Yeah. Yeah. But Baxter and LA haven't got uh, contracts. And then you also had the likes of Hannah Lowry, um, Morgan Aquino, who'd already been over there. So whilst there were a few players going over there, it wasn't a massive, massive exodus. And I don't think that we can use that in any way to say, oh, that the, the league was weakened at the NPL level this season. I think there was a lot of movement every season um, but yeah the, the, there's no doubt that players are looking at the eastern states and there's a number of reasons for that it's not just the fact that they, they feel that they're not getting like, opportunities here there's the financial side of it but for a kid at 17, 18 to, to relocate to Sydney that's one big big move um, but, but let's also and, look at the impending Women's World Cup uh, kids with stars in their eyes might be thinking well okay better competitions over there more opportunities more possibility of getting identified getting two places or in closer proximity I and mean, there's a lot more things about stepping up your pathway in your career over that side of the country than there are here and we know that the quality and numbers I, are increasing at the higher level as you, you do it organically it's growing so you know that's it's the movement it's no i disagree I, I disagree um it's your booking and uh also, Tanita Lala are two really, really good examples of young WA players who shone at the, the Nationals. They don't need to go over each. They've been identified from here. If you've got the talent, you'll be seen. But, but they're, what's they're, young, they're, they're young players, though, Neil. They're players that are going to national championships. They don't have national championships for players over the age of, what is it, 17? No, they don't, but they get identified. I mean, um, players like Baxter Few and uh, Ellie Lamont are well over the age of 17. So why have they gone over? Playing That's better the question. competition. Well, I, no, again, I disagree. Why, why do people think that the West Australian competition is poor? Why do they think that? Because we've never been proven against other states. 2013, um, the Northern Redbacks went to Adelaide and beat the Adelaide champions. Why do people continually think that the West Australian game is weaker than all the other states? I, dis- we, we I disagree with a- what you're saying, and I didn't say poor. I said it's better over there. So it, by better, if the better. quality of games every week is a better standard than here, and Perth Red Stars are a notch above, let's look at their season this year, case in situ. So 
um, if you go over no, they're there... Not, they're, they're not a notch above. That's the whole point. Perth Soccer Club pushed Perth Red Star all the way. NTC gave Perth Red Star very hard games. I, I think it's wrong that people keep pushing this barrow that we're, we're somehow worse than other, than other states. Queensland's NPL is no better than the WA NPL. Um, the results at the national championships, yes, Queensland looked very, very good. But feedback that I've heard from people like Ernie Merrick was he was hugely impressed with the standard of play that was coming out from the West Australian state teams. Now, the West Australian state teams are not entirely NTC. They're also coming in from clubs. And we've got some very, very good players in Western Australia. And the league is still very young. But if we continually push this, oh, we're no good, we've got to start beating our own chest here. The, the, the product that comes out of WA is a very, very high standard. Individual players in WA are going to be representing Perth Glory to a very, very high degree. And I think that we need to accept that and appreciate that rather than say, oh, well, they're going to leave because the competition here is rubbish. That's not true. And, and I'm not saying that at all. And I think to prove someone's case, we should have a chat to someone that's left WA and gone over east and maybe stayed there and some who have come back. I can't think of any off the top of my head. And just None of them have come back. I mean, the, the biggest issue is the one that we have no control over because geographically we are not front and centre to national selectors. And the national selectors, it's a far easier job for them to move to Melbourne and Victoria and, and Sydney and have a look at players there moving up and down the eastern seaboard than it is for them to fly over to Perth. That's an issue. We'll never get over that. And there will always be movement. There always has been. Lisa Devanna moved out of Perth when she was a young player. Colette McCallum did exactly the same. So that's always going to happen. So, but let's not say that we've got an inferior product here because we don't. Mm. Okay, but I'm just saying to you that I didn't say that. I know, and this yeah. is a, but this is a narrative that's built up. Ah, you're that, saying generally the community think that, and that's why those, yes. one of the reasons why those players are leaving. Okay, let, let, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I, I think we need to be. Um, celebrating the successes of the players that we are producing. And there's been a lot of them. Yes. Tian McKenna uh, has got into a, a young Matilda camp now, as well as Tanika Lala. Tanika Lala was nowhere on the radar this time last year. She's come out of the goldfield. Mm. Uh, she, she's an incredible success story. An amazing Let's season. celebrate that. Yeah, we're yeah. producing players in the junior Matildas, the young Matildas. So, and we're getting players identified in the national camps that they set up, which is great. That's, uh, so, yep, yeah, we, uh, we're... We're doing the business. Now, let's move on um, and talk about local competitions a bit more. Um, we've got the chair of the Women's Standing Committee here. Uh, Rob, now, this is your platform to, <laughs> to share the news that we all want to hear. You go for it, Rob. Um, <laughs> What's happening next year that is, is going to shake it up a bit? Well, first of all, all these proposals are before the board and they're meeting on Tuesday. So, you know, nothing is definite, but... Um, the proposals, you know, I have been championing for, for quite some time since I've been on the, you know, on the board, you know, the standing committee, is that we need to move forward uh, in the junior competition and, and we need to be able to close all age gaps uh, in that competition. Um, and that's been a driving force. And the whole committee, the Women's Standing Committee, has been behind it. And uh, it's been really good that this year... We had Saudi at Football West doing a, a lot of research in the numbers and where the numbers will be 
And uh, so I'm happy to report that as of next year, the proposal is that we'll have an extra two competitions in the under-13s and under-17s. Yay! So, and then we hope to fill that uh, 14s gap the year after. So, so yeah, that the driving force is obviously with the, the World Cup uh, coming in here, uh, the growth of the female game, and uh, you know, it, it to me that's the only way forward. It's 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 been always very hard dealing with uh, the two-year age gap. Um, especially so, in big clubs so can like I just us. confirm, you said under 13 and under 17. We're not reverting to odd years next year, are we? No, no, we're keeping the 12s and we're keeping the 14s and 16s. Okay. So it'll be 12s, 13s, 14s, 16s and 17s. Okay. And that's based on the available numbers. So, so uh, the following year there'll be 15s, Phil, so every age group. That's right, yeah. Nice. So, so that's, that's, that's a proposal and, and I can't see that not going ahead because that's you know that's well documented now and, and numbers should, should be supporting that organically with yeah, growth that's right yes nice so so hopefully that uh, we'll have some good news after uh, tuesday yep. so uh, so yeah that's on the on the junior level uh on the senior level obviously i also like to say that uh, in the beginning there was a little bit of hesitation from the the junior standing committee but they've come on board once they saw the numbers and and uh, they're supporting that as well so obviously it's more in their basket of things but you know um we you know at the women's standing committee uh, being at the women's clubs that's what we've seen especially like in Fremantle and melville that's what we like to See developed. Then, of course, in the the women's game, uh, we've been struggling the last few years when with the the women's state uh, competition, which you know has devalued over the years. Um, you know, I don't want to go into history of it, but but anyway, again, we did some research on it, and, and even the standing committee last year proposed that we had no longer have uh, the women's state uh, competition, and yep. that combined with the, the state league, yep. yeah. The state league, so uh, because in the end this year they were down to only six teams. Um, so again, Sada did a lot of research, spoke to a lot of clubs, and proposed before Football West Board is that uh, we abolish the state and amateur competition, and we go back to a centralised metro competition uh, with a Div One or Premier League, whatever the, the the highest league will be called, and. Uh, and then so on. We have, I think, three, three leagues of eight teams, uh, and and then it will split up into south and north competitions. Nice, which is very convenient. Yes, so it's it's much more uh, streamlined. So the question the question before the board is if the current MPL clubs will be allowed to have a team as well in the the highest league. Um, you know, already last year we brought that before the board, but again, in, that was qualify that in the highest league below the NPL. Below the NPL, yeah. yes, yeah, in the in the metro metro league. Yeah. Uh, we proposed that as well, but that was you know voted down because they wanted some more research being done into it, which again Sara did this year. Uh, you know, going to the various clubs and looking at the numbers and. and for the development of the game, um, you know, I personally uh, feel, and, and the, so was the committee, that these clubs, the NPL clubs, should be allowed to maybe have a, a, a team in that 
top eight highest division with the feeling that uh, down the track that might change but uh, and there will be some some uh, so many questions okay so promotion and relegation from the NPL is that going to happen next year no okay uh, at the moment I think it was before the borders that it's 1920 2026 so wow. maybe 2025 so uh, yeah so we 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 proposed that it should be done earlier um so and, and that might be still some work being done about out it question so if an NPL club has a team in NPL and then the top next tier down and they are pretty damn good and finished consistently on the top or top 2 promotion and relegation that's going to be a problem they'll just stay there or yeah, there will be uh, there will be probably a playoff then uh, between the highest non MPL club. Uh, you know, uh, there might be some conditions being put into place, and the lowest MPL. Yeah. So potentially, team. if you find a club like a Red Red Stars caliber who hmm. have all the teams in all of the tiers of football, they could be in the NPL and Twenty Ones and top tier of that amateur competition, whatever it's called, Metro. That, that's yeah, right. Consistently yeah. forever. Maybe oh, mm. that might change over time, but we need we need clubs to develop. We need clubs like UWA. We need clubs, you know, even the Southwest Phoenix, if they're serious about wanting to go up to the MPL, to uh, to be serious about it and and have under a second team yeah. under twenty one. So um, there will be some conditions uh, slowly brought into the situation. Uh, you know that these clubs need to have those you know the juniors in place they need to have the uh, you know second tier teams in place so that if they have aspirations that they you know that they can be moving up yes is there any talk of expanding the MPLW no not yet at the moment no no it's going to be staying as it is Mm -hmm. uh, till till we bring promotion relegation into place we need more clubs to want to develop uh, the female game and be serious about it. Mm. Yeah. So just a, a word in from uh, Dave Kindness. Thanks, Dave. Players that moved over east last year was at the big quest of the Glory coach, stating that the experience gained would be beneficial to the girls getting a game for Glory this season. Has that actually happened, Dave? If you're listening in, tell us what players that worked for. That's what I want to know. Okay. Sorry, Neil. You must have questions. You've been very quiet. <laughs> well, I was just letting Rob, Rob speak. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a terrific move. Um, the trials are going on all over the place at the moment, as everybody knows. So hearing that news um, gives us a little degree of certainty. Um, trials at Red Star have nearly finished now. Um, and I think many other clubs are probably close to wrapping them up. With regards to the teams in the NPL having a side in the highest league, I think one of the opportunities here is that that can be used very much as a it's a pseudo under 18s team, uh, much like the men's NPL. You know, they have their under 20s and their under 18s. So it can be used very much as a development squad uh, for the clubs. And I don't think that you're going to see a team from the NPL teams sort of dominating because there's going to be a transition of players in and out of that team over a year. I love the fact that we've got no breaks between the age groups now because it means that uh, you, you, don't, you don't have an, a situation where you're going to have players who have got two years' experience at under-14s playing against a team that's just come up from the under-12s, for example. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that's really important. So, yeah, great initiative, and I think it's, it's well overdue. Was there any other things that you're going to put on the table for us to stew over, Rob? 
Uh, well, the only other ones, I guess, uh, is the uh, the MPO, where you know there there are going to be you know stricter control on some of the items. I think over over the next few years as well, regarding uh, you know junior teams having to have junior teams in 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 the competition. Compliant with the actual NPO that's regulation right, for which yeah. they became part of the league in the first place. That's, Good. That's right. <laughs> so we've been pushing really hard on that as well. And, who, and who's going to enforce that compliance though? Well, that's are, are you going to go out? Are you going to like I have a little no. checklist and go to the club? <laughs> Not me, no. And, and I guess the um, the only other one was that the highest, you know, there's before the board as well, is that the highest uh, metro league will be straight substitution instead of uh, oh, really? interchange. Ooh-wee. So that's a biggie. My my players don't like that, but uh, I'm sure. Metro so yeah, I don't know if that will pass, but that's uh, I know there's a lot of. Re- Resistance against that. The coach from Hammersley, their players don't want it as well. But yeah, I agree with it though, because if the pathway is that you're you're good enough as a team or a player to be in that league, and maybe get into the NPL, you've got to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it, yeah. it's the move out of junior football. Um, you can you can see a pathway from the under 17s into whatever a club wants to call it, but. That's a move out of junior football into senior football, and senior football is is substitutions, um, interchange. That, that should be that should be for the for the metro for the for the metro teams, uh, like the old metro teams, and also for the masters teams. Because let's let's face it, many of the over thirty fives and that couldn't last ninety minutes. I know I couldn't. <laughs> How does it go for the men's competition? Does anyone know? Do they have interchange up, like? Uh, through their juniors until a certain age? There's there's interchange in in the social competition or the Metro Leagues and the Masters, but uh, there's straight substitution in the amateurs and state league. So that's the men's competition? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. And in the women's, uh, there was uh, only straight substitution on the state league and MPL uh, first team, not in the under-21s, and uh, and the rest was all interchange. Yeah, okay. Yes. Have the under-21s gone to straight substitutions now, though, Rob? I think it has, hasn't it? Is it? Yeah, it, it has, yeah. Has oh. it? Yeah. 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 Ah. It was this season, yeah. Okay. All right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, good. yeah, good, good. Okay. So we're going to have to let you go, Neil. We've got another guest coming. Was there anything else you wanted to plop into the conversation before we let you go? No, I think that uh, apart from the fact that, you know, we, we obviously want uh, the best for, for Perth Glory going forward for the season. Fingers crossed we do get a couple of uh, local players getting into the squad. Um, really excited about the World Cup draw, uh, seeing who's coming to Perth. It's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing tournament. And if you haven't already got your ticket, you're going to have to get your skates on because I think they're going really, really fast. But uh, all up, I think, still very, very excited about the state of the women's game, notwithstanding players going to the Eastern States. And that will always happen. We just have to make sure that what we're doing here we, we're trying to do the very very best and one final thing congratulations steve on your appointment very well done mate thanks neil and thanks for your support during the season that's been a great help no worries at all thank you very much for having me on pen it's been terrific as always good on you neil have a great weekend will do thanks man cheers bye. take care bye bye neil that's neil bennett beyond 90 sports writer and we didn't mention but i'm sure the guys did last week that after the npl awards um it was Larissa Walsh from Perth Red Stars who got the top goal scorer. She did. Yeah. And was it the gold medal as well? No, that was... I can't remember. Coleman? Red Star? Coleman, was it? Uh, oh, my God. Jay Coleman, I think. 
already moved on. So much football's <laughs> happened since then. Someone, please, let me know. Can, can someone tell me, was it in the past a financial award for the... the yep, the, it was. And not this year? No, it was a lovely watch. A lovely watch. Yes. Yep, so, so um, previously when the men's and women started to combine, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, there was McInerney Ford used to sponsor the guys and there was a lovely car for the gold medal winner, guys. And then... Uh, I'm not quite sure there was a car for the women ever. Not sure about that. It could be corrected. And then there was bank account. They switched it to a bank account. I remember, was it Kate Yukic one, one year? Pretty sure she did. And it was fairly hefty check. She, Gemma Crane was one. Yeah, maybe. It was like mm. five or $10,000. 10000 yeah. Yeah, so mm. for each of the winners. And then the last couple of years of the NPL Awards have been... Uh, at the Western in Perth, so it's been a different affair with through COVID, and it was this lovely watch, lovely, lovely watch. So I don't know the value of the watch, but it was a pretty spiffy-looking thing, and that was for each of the gold medal winners. So gold medal and yeah, spiffy-looking watch. Um, and uh, yeah, the, my conversation about that goes something like. If the award winners are getting younger and younger, there's no point getting them a car they can't drive. (laughs) (laughs) And do we want to give them a huge bank account if they're still living at home with mum and dad? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go to a break and come back and chat with Cameron Hart. This is Penn, Steve and Rob on the World Football Program. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Welcome back to the World Football Program. This is Penn, Rob and Steve chatting with you until 12 today. And our guest online from over east is Cameron Hart, the CEO of Events Management Queensland. Good afternoon, Cameron. Good afternoon to you guys. Thank you for joining us today. It's a very long title. It also includes the Pan Pacific Masters Games. So you've got a lot on your plate, I reckon. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's, it's exciting for a, a major event company to to be back running a major event after uh, the terrible few years that, that COVID reaped on the event industry. Um, but we're less than two weeks away from this year's Pan Pacific Masters Games, and it's uh, and it's looking really, really good. Tell us 
the unknowing us, what a Pan-Pacific and a Masters Games means and where it fits in the echelon of Masters football from local to international football? Yeah, yeah, look, great, great question. So Masters Games, um, I guess, if you can liken it to the same sort of format as, say, a Commonwealth Games or Olympic Games, in that it's a multi-sport event. Um, it's, they started back in uh, 1985, um, and at that stage, a few of the international governing bodies were doing their own World Masters, like individual events, you know, swimming, uh, track and field were some of the stronger ones. And at that stage, team sports like football weren't, weren't really looking at these you know, these bigger master, integrated Masters events. And over the years, it just started growing. So it actually got to the point um, uh, that... So 1985 was the first one. 89 was the second one, which wasn't all that successful. And the third one was actually in Brisbane, which which became the World Masters Games. Um, and uh, Queensland um, really turned around the concept of, of Masters Games and a lot of great promotion. And football played a, a big role in, in that event. Um, and so the Pan-Pacific Masters Games, held on the Gold Coast, um, is a legacy of the World Masters Games that were in Brisbane. So... Multi-sport format, generally for people over the age of 30, some sports um, have a slightly younger age group and some have a slightly older, depending on what they are. I have a question immediately. I have a question. Yeah. Um, There's so many professional sports people over the age of 30. Are there rules preventing them from playing? Because can you imagine like a Messi or a Benzema who's over the age of 30 playing (laughs) Masters football? (laughs) Look, there's, there's not. There's no, there's no rules at all, actually. <laughs> Watch um, out. But the, the great thing is, Penny, um, in, in the football particularly, we've got so many teams who are able to grade them, and the, uh, the competition uh, is run by a very experienced sports designer, and her, her committee are really good at grading things. So if they, if they, see, uh, if they see a couple of a couple of sneaky pros getting in there and just um, you know, running rampant over over some of the older players, they'll they'll do some managing of the draw around that. So, Masters Games is really about the social elements of sport. You know, if you can still if you're still old enough to play sport, it provides the opportunity to do it, and with an element on, of the fun and fitness, and then um, going from there. Give us an idea of some statistics, like um, how many teams and players would be uh, involved with it, um, where they come from, like around the world, or is it just uh, yeah. literally the Pan-Pacific region? Yeah, so um, we've got, uh, I think, 42 sports uh, across the board in this year's uh, Masters Games. We're looking at, um, we're still getting a few entries to some sports, we're looking at having over 13,000 individual participants across the game. Uh, but looking at football specifically... Um, we've got 70 teams in football and 30 teams in walking football. Now, walking football is, is a new inclusion this year. So there's about you know 1,300 footballers of various uh, capabilities and age groups um, taking part. And um, that's a really strong field for us. So going back to when the Games first started in 1998 for the Pampac Games, you know, we only had, um, you know, five, a bit of... A few over 500 players, so we're well over double that now. And, and considering we've, we haven't been on for the last four years, because the last Masters Games was held um, uh, two years prior to COVID in 2018. We were due to be held in 2020 and got cancelled. And then we tried again in 21 and got cancelled again. So four years in between, we're really, really pleased with the, with the pickup. And it looks like we'll probably exceed our 2016 figures, which was the second biggest Games ever. 
Um, and we won't, we won't get near 2018 numbers where we had 16,000 players, but we're still rebuilding. And um, we're really, really pleased that we can you know, provide these opportunities for, for men and women across all sports, but particularly team sports like football. Um, it's a really good one for us. And football has been, I guess, one of the success stories of, of the Masters games where, you know, they started out and it was mainly... I guess if we call them a couple of sort of Anglo guys sort of playing around putting teams together um, and then it spread across some of the various, um, um, you know, I guess not even speaking uh, football clubs around to really there's, there's, there's players living in Australia and players come from around Australia from a whole range of ethnicities um, just getting out and enjoying the fact that they can still play football and it's generally played in, in really good spirits and great camaraderie. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of volunteers, especially masseurs, first aiders, and the St John Ambulance nearby as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, that, and that's a really important thing. It's, it's, a, um, when, when you, it's, more, it's different than playing. If you're like in a master's age group and you might play one game a week and you get in there and you might play a, well, it's a weeknight or, or a weekend, you have your one game, then you've got all week to recover. Well, the master's games, you might be playing two games a day for about five, day, five days straight. So the, the physios and the masters are working overtime to make sure the players can stay in the pitch. It's, it's really great. Yeah, wow. I remember one of the games I went to, uh, I think it was in New Zealand uh, games back in, might have been 2017, and there was a lot of masters. There was never a spare bed, and there was a lot of ice baths, and they were always occupied as well. I can't stand <laughs> ice baths. <I> <laughs> But they're obviously necessary. <laughs> uh, are you going this year, Penny? No, I'm not. I, I would love to have gone this year, but uh, something's come up um, with family and it's like right smack bang in that space. So unfortunately, I won't be going. Mm. But yeah, I've been to a few. I went to the 2013 World Games in Italy with Rose, my daughter, Cameron. Um, she was about oh, yep. eight at that time and certainly been to the Gold Coast a couple of times. They're always great events. Um, lovely to meet up with people and swap things too. You swap uh, tracksuit jackets and shirts and pins yeah. and all kinds of things. It's great. Very social. There's lots of that. That's one of the great, great, sorry, Katie, that's one of the great sort of spin-off of it is, is, is yeah, teams and players swapping jerseys, swapping pins, swapping badges. Um, it's it, it real, It's building friendships like really right across, not only Australia, but across the world. It's fantastic. It's also awesome for tourism too because every time I've been away, with one of the Masters competitions, that the team plans to go places. They either land there earlier and travel around or they stay later and travel around. And so, it, you know, you just save your extra, you know, bucket list and, and off you go. And I usually take my daughter with me. In fact, I've always taken my daughter with me everywhere for football, so she's pretty lucky. I save twice the amount and we go and visit uh, people and families and, and explore the world. In fact, soccer's been like that for me my entire life. It's pretty much the only time I've ever travelled has been for soccer. So it's a pretty amazing journey. <laughs> now, yeah, that's, that's, that's one. Go, sorry, you go, Penny. Yeah, I was going to say um, levels of football. You mentioned about the walking football and thirty. I think you said thirty teams. Um, thirty teams. Yeah, that, that's amazing. It's just growing over here in West Australia. Um, I don't know if it's men's, women's, or mixed here, but there's a tournament coming up locally in the female walking football space October 30 that's an annual event and I know there is men's walking football I don't know if it's mixed is it mixed in the Masters games it's um it, it's well it, it's both so it's men's women's and mixed if, if we got um yes we put a mixed team in we can and that's the great thing about 
you know, the rules around, you know, walking football on a, on a smaller pitch with a smaller number of players and the fact you're not running, it really levels the playing field as far as um, if there's any you know, difference in, in skill sets or physical ability, it really brings it brings way back down to the basics. So um, the fact that this is the first time we've had walking football uh, in the Pan Pacific Masters games um, and, you know, we've we picked up you know, 30 teams already, it's, it's, it's great. And... Well, I think that's just going to allow more and more people to stay involved in the game where previously they played Masters or whatever and they just, they just couldn't run anymore, that would stop. And, and you know, hats off to whoever the individual or, or committee was that came up with the concept of walking football because it's, it's really taking off over here as well. Uh, and as you say, you know, men and women don't need to be segregated in teams, they can play in mixed and, and it's really, you know, really starting to to grow and take off nicely. And, and yeah, the women's football generally has been growing as well. When we first started the Masters games, it was, it was mainly guys. Uh, and then a few women's teams started. And um, as you guys would know, it's women's football generally has, just, over the last decade particularly, has just taken off. But we've really seen that in, in the Masters games with the growth around the number of women um, you know, playing football. And they might have been previously involved in that, you know, coaching, coaching their kids at school or whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden, hang on a minute, I can actually play this. So they get some friends again, and they, they join a team as well. So, What about five-a-side football? And I know walking football is modified football, so yep. um, I think it's five-a-side, isn't it, Cameron? Walking football. Um, yeah, walking football, yeah, five or six, depending on, on what they want to run, and you, depending on whether you want to have a goal or not. Uh, and then we're also, also offering futsal as well in, in the Pampac. So, um, you know, there's... There's, uh, I guess, three versions of, of football that people can be playing. That's amazing. Is that the same across all the other sports, like, I don't know, netball or hockey or whatever? Do they have different versions of the sports in the games? Uh, netball have this year um, just taken on board a walking version of their game. Um, so obviously that's something that's picking up. But, no, I think uh, in, in this situation, football is leading the way as far as you know, the, the different versions of it, for sure. Good. Okay, um, and I did want to ask about um, the growth of all the sports. Um, you said that the numbers back in 2018 was about 16,000 participation um, and it sounds like it's pretty healthy numbers of soccer in there or football in there this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah. generally across Australia, are you able to reflect on statistics and comparisons to world competitions? Yeah, well, as far as, far as Masters games go... Um the Pan Pacific Masters Games is, is the largest. Um, used to, we used to have it every two years, so it was the largest biennial Masters Games in the world. But we're actually going to start making the event annually, so um, it's, it's going to be on every, every year. Because you know, some years some people can't make it, some years others others can. So we're, we're breaking that around. But it's it's certainly growing. The only only Masters Game in the world bigger than ours is the World Masters Games, which is played every four years. Uh, and they get around 25,000 uh, people to that event across the whole range of, of, of sports, this obviously being the, the World Masters that has, has greater greater appeal. But certainly, um, you know, we, I guess we're the, we're the biggest second tier of those, of those events. Do you, know, do you know how that compares to other events like Commonwealth Games, uh, Olympic Games, et cetera, et cetera? Yep. Participation-wise, much, much bigger. So we had the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast in 2018, and they had 6,500 uh, participants, like athletes. Right. So this year, we, we're going to have double that number of athletes taking part in the Pan Pacific Masters Games. 
Wow, that brings a lot of everything into the space where the games are being held. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot less officials. The, the um, Olympic Games and Com Games, you know, they've got so many coaches, officials and media and sports federations and stuff that come along with, with those events that, that make up the overall visitation numbers, so players and, and officials, etc. where, you know, the Masters Games is really more about the participants and their immediate family and friends. So we'll have as I said, 13, about 13,000 players we're, we're anticipating and based on previous games, they'll bring with them about another 20,000 know, friends and family and company persons with them. So you know, we're thinking up something over 30,000 visitors to the Gold Coast uh, for the game. Wow. That's, oh, that's kind of blown my mind, the support it's, staff. Yeah. And then there's your philosophy, right? Play, play it, live it and love it. Yeah, yep. Wow. That's right. Um, now, and the good thing about it, Penny, is that, that then trickles down. Well, it brings, um, and you're talking about the tourism element before, which is obviously a big driver for you know, local government and state governments to support things like Masters Game. But we contract um, all you know, community-based, say, Gold Coast associations to deliver the individual sport. So for them, they actually get a really good return and, and raise a lot of money um, out of it, if you can think, you know, the, the football association we're using at Narang, um, the fact that they're going to have, you know, over 1,300 players there every day for a week, there's going to be a lot of turnover through the canteen, um, you know, merchandise sales and stuff like that. And, and it really, it's a good opportunity for, for these sports who host the games. It's a lot of hard work by the committee, because as you guys know, a lot of committees are still run by volunteers. But it puts some money in the kitties so then they can do junior development programs, they can run officiating programs, um, all, all that investment back in the sport uh, on the back of the money that the Masters Games has brought in that, into the sporting community. Yeah, and I'm thinking with those figures of participation that um, you indicated, that is a bucket load of money, even if it's just yeah. once or every two or every four years. Wow, that's... It's impressive. Now, I do have a question before we let you go. H- how does this all kind of connect with FIFA? I- is there any connect at all? Um, very loosely. So we, we, we're not sanctioned by FIFA, but we make sure that all our sports, whether it's football or otherwise, are sanctioned by firstly their, their, their local association and then their state body and then the national body. So the football is, is you know, sanctioned through you know, Football Queensland um, and put, and they would have sought approval from Football Australia as well, but we don't go as far up the food chain to get FIFA involved. Okay, all right. And um, registrations are still open. No, they've all they've all, they've all closed off unfortunately because um, it's that time now where all the sports are actually putting the draws and the programs together. Yep. But they closed. Uh, yeah, it changed from sport to sport, but uh, they all closed um, about a week and a half ago generally. So. Now that it's at the pointy end, all, all our sports conveners are, are frantically shuffling around the drawers um, and making sure there's you know, uh, participants coming and getting value for money. And as you say, Penny, you've been here, you've seen it before. It's a, it's a big day to run a, you know, run a carnival, you know, like, a, like a, a football carnival, soccer carnival. Um, and the fact that you're dealing with so many um, and, and adults who can get a bit grumpy if they don't get the right draw... Um, it's a big, big deal, but it all runs well in the end, and it's played in good spirits in the end of the day. Or a hot dog after the game if they've all sold out. <laughs> a hot dog and a cool beverage of choice, whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now there was one other thing I did see: are games going to be, or the sports going to be live streamed this time round? 
some sports. Um, we've, we're working with a, with a local partner um, who's doing some live streaming. Look, it certainly won't be to um, you know television broadcast quality, uh, but some sports. And uh, forgive me, I haven't confirmed with a football. I've got that happening as yet. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's just really just to, just to take the games to um, you know, to the internet, so those friends and family supporters of players. Um, in those sports can uh, can tune in and, and watch what they can. Okay, um, good, exciting development for the future there then. And where can people find out more about the competition and follow their teams? Yeah, look, the, the best way is to log on to mastersgames.com.au, which is not an easy one to remember. Yep. Um, hop on there and um, navigate to the sports tab. And then for the sports tab, you just drill down your particular sport. And in this case, football is separate from, from walking football. So you can go in there and very soon the draws will be up there so you can see what time that's all on there. And then excuse me, also um, from, from, the, from that page, you can see the tabs to follow the Pacific Masters Games social media. So if you follow that too, you'll be able to get any updates on as quickly towards we get to the finals and things like that, who's in the finals and, and who's playing where and... Importantly, if there's any changes for any particular reason. Excellent. So once again, au. And uh, is there a World Games due in Australia anytime soon? Not for a little while. But the, um, I think you referenced the Auckland World Masters Games in 2017. Yes. <coughs> the next two World Masters Games are scheduled in, uh, in Asia. So the next one will be in Taiwan in, I think it's 2015. Um, and then uh, in Kansai in Japan in 2019. Hang on. It's 2022 right now. Sorry, sorry, 29. <laughs> yeah, 2025, 2029. Thank okay. you. <laughs> I've been doing this too long, Ben. <laughs> Excellent. All right. But uh, people go to mastersgames.com.au. They can find out more. Cameron, it's been absolutely fantastic having a chat to you. You sound very excited about it all coming up. I hope you still sound the same after the competition or you've got your feet up somewhere with a beer and you're happy it's all gone nicely for you. Yeah, look, it, it, it's really good. And I, I just love, you know, CEO of the organisation. And I get around to see as many sports as I can to just to see people with big smiles in the faces. I call it the dopey grin factor. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you? If I see more dopey grins out there, I know that we've done a good job. Everyone's happy and having a good time. Good one. Well, we've been talking about the Pan Pacific Masters Games in the Gold Coast, which is happening next month. I hope it all goes nicely for you and everyone has a good time. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for the chat. Cheers. Bye. Cameron Hart, CEO of Events Management Queensland, also a manager in the Pan Pacific Masters Games, or they actually manage the Pan Pacific Masters Games. Amazingly big tournament. Never been Mm. involved with the guys in any way? No. Nothing like that, no, but it's... Um, the numbers he was throwing is incredible. numbers is amazing. They say in sports, you know, you're a long time retired, so it's giving good opportunity for these people. No retirement, no yeah, retirement. Keep on going. So. Well, what, what, I did, what I did find interesting, though, you mentioned 1,500 soccer players. In my Fremantle Five side, we've got 2,000. Oh, you go, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in. Oh, my God. So, so that is not that one venue, yeah. is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <sighs> Have you told the council that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. That's that's impressive. That's that's growth. That's yeah. um, and I'm not just talking about your Fremantle Fiver side or the Masters Games, but that's just growth in mm. football generally. People just wanting mm. to be involved. Get outside. I wonder how the stats are for 
participants in eleven the traditional eleven aside and how they are with uh, transferring to other forms of football and if it's affecting the eleven aside, like they're just transferring and that's what they're playing. They're deciding not to do eleven aside anymore because there's so many players I know who do five aside now. Mm. They just didn't before. Yeah. So they're not doing it um, during the winter season. They're doing it in the summer season mostly. I find, but just about everyone I know is doing it. Mm. So I, I don't know about like the higher level professional players, women's and men's, whether they're doing it as well. I guess Greg could give us some, but it'd be nice to know if there's a transference because of the levels and pathways and ambitions in other forms of uh, football now. Yeah, it's just a, a kind of yeah. a bit of a shift in that space. In, at Freeman and Fowler side, obviously, it's it's very much players who play eleven aside uh, and do it in the off season uh, because that's the only time we we have a yep. lot of competition although we also get quite a few players from basketball and, and footy who, who want to go and have a get, go at uh, get together with their mates mm, and have some fun mm, that's right yeah it is fun absolutely is alright this is Penn Steve and Rob talking football we'll be back very shortly talking more of it with Jim Webb from oh my god I had a mental blank oh my god Jim the next goal wins podcast sorry Jim yeah. We're going to be back very soon talking about that. This is Penn, Steve and Rob on the World Football Programme. 107.9 FM, your local station. Cristiano Ronaldo. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website, where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008, respectively. You're listening in to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle and we appreciate you tuning in. The World Football Program is a community program run by volunteers. Just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penn, Steve and Rob in the studio. That kind of rolls off the tongue and it's becoming a little bit of a habit, lads. That's okay. It's a good habit. We've got Jim Webb on the line with us now from Next Goal Wins Podcast. Yes, sass me all you like about my mental blank, Jim. Good morning. Hey, Penn, when we get to our certain ages, these things happen, don't they? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I'm not the only one who's been to Masters football tournaments, I reckon, Jim. <laughs> no, I was, I was actually meant to go to the Gold Coast in a couple of weeks' time to represent the Perth side going to uh, sort of walking football, but uh, a, a late injury has, has stopped my uh, stopped my international fame uh, uh, the, for the moment. There's more, these uh, Australian Masters games and the... Um, Pacific Games, World Games. You could travel the world playing Masters games, I reckon, Jim. 
I think that's the only form of football I can play these days. But yeah, no, it's really good fun actually. And for those people that you know fancy giving it a try, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Give it a go. Now we've got you on to chat about World Cup football. And uh, we know that there are a few World Cups coming up, one in November, which is kind of strange. But uh, there we go. It's going to be happening and back to normal, I think, next time, isn't it, everyone? This is just a blip, a sep latter so, yeah. blip, I'll, I think. Yeah, I do hope so. Yeah, it's it's very disappointing to have it at uh, Qatar, and uh, you know I'm, I'm you know I'm absolutely um, disgusted that they voted to have it there, and we're playing this time of the uh, of the year uh, with all the issues we're having. But obviously, let's hope that uh, sport will be the winner in the end. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, Jim, just to give a little bit of a wrap because you're new to the program, tell us about your involvement in sport. How did it start, and what are you doing right now? <laughs> Well, well, if I start with, with the current, um, I'm, I'm the zone, one of the zone reps for Football West down here in the Pill region and uh, also part of the Pill Regional Football Council. And uh, just a few years ago, we were trying to work out how we could promote the game down here. Um, and uh, myself and a friend of mine, Andy Jones, came up with this idea of uh, running a website and a podcast that would cover the teams basically from Baldivis south to Mandra, really. And, uh, yeah, we just took it from there, and we did a podcast about three years ago thinking that no-one had listened to it, and we had 50 downloads. And, and, and we, we do, we're not saying that we do it every week. We do it on an ad hoc basis, but we, 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 we've been hitting nearly 2,000 downloads per show now, which, nice. you know, for, for me and me and someone else just talking nonsense about football for half an hour, it's quite impressive. Um, <laughs> Doing what you love, that's we, what I say. Yeah, yeah and we, we cover anything. So um, we'll talk to people in the amateur game, we'll talk to the, the two state league teams in Rockingham and Mandra, but we'll also go and watch a game involving like an under-13 South Division 3 side and talk to their coach and their players just to get a whole range of football uh, across the area, promote the game down here and hope more people take part or, or volunteer as well. Now, you've got a lovely accent. I, I love people coming on the radio and talking football with lovely accents. So where's it from and what team are you supporting? Yeah, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm South London born and bred. And um, I, I'm glad that, uh, is it Steve, the Watford supporter? It is. Yeah, so you're not going to like this, but I'm a, I'm a Millwall supporter, so you oh, had a great, yeah. great game uh, in the week. We'll just forget about last week then, won't we? <laughs> no, I'm quite, I'm quite happy to talk about that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it would be. <laughs> yeah, um, Mill, Millwall, Dennis Wise. And... Dennis Wise, and probably the most famous player, Teddy. Australian Wales, uh, Tim Cahill. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And Teddy yeah. Sheringham as well. Teddy, yeah, well, that's, that was the era really when, when Sheringham was up front for us. Uh, in our in our two seasons of playing top flight division, which was way before the Premier League started, and, uh, <laughs> doesn't look like it's going to happen for a while yet. Hmm, but you uh, you're, you're passionate about it, and that's the thing. I wish that uh, Australian football supporters were passionate like that, but um, yeah, we we haven't quite got to that stage yet. What's your theory on that? Why aren't Australians passionate about their football like other countries are, Jim? I honestly think it's because if you go A League, it's only one division. There is no, there is no promotion, no relegation. There is no time when you can sit there and go, "We need to get the three points to stay up, or we need the three points to win the league." Um, and, and I think until a second division where there is that promotion and relegation, so that bit of competitive edge, there's, there's too many games towards the end of the season that are, are pretty dead. 
Um, so it doesn't create the whereas, excitement and, and loyalty to yeah. support your club to inspire them to move up. They're just always going to be in that space. But it doesn't help, though, that, uh, you know, in the sports media, you know, there's like 20 pages of AFL and then uh, <laughs> one page of uh, soccer if you're lucky, you know. So... <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, and same on the TV, obviously. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. And, and, that's, and that's not helping the free... There's, no, there's hardly any football free to air TV these days as well. Um, yeah, you've got to pay your bucks and then you get something. Hmm. Right, let's, let's talk World Cup Qatar. Um, Group B. What are we going to look forward to in Group B? Well, I don't know if anyone else really agrees with me, but, uh, you know, it's pretty much... I think it's the group of death. There's always one group of death in every World Cup, and this looks like the one. So, um, really? <laughs> well, I think laughing <laughs> says it all, there, <laughs> Well, if, if you look, if you look at the numbers on the FIFA rankings, the, the, the worst ranked team in this group is Iran, uh, uh, ranked number twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So, wish, I mean, wish, I, well, I'm already making excuses. <laughs> this is probably excuses for England leaving early. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, you, you can't sell that one to us, uh, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> Good try. How do you think Gareth Southgate's travelling as coach, Jim? Well, um, why do you, th- why do you think he brought up? The t- how, do, how why do you think he brought up the, the fact that it is the group of death? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, if you look at the two teams that are on form, that's America and Iran. England have gone six games without a win. Wales have gone five games without a win. So uh, you know, it's 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 a group that's very open. Uh, is it Gareth Bale playing in the form. US? He is. He's playing for LA. I think it's LA Galaxy. Is he playing for? And uh, you know, Wales. Wales are you know as much as I probably as an Englishman hate to say this. Wales are probably my sort of team. You know, with the team I support. Full of lots of players that play as a team, but if you take Bow out, there's no real superstar in that Welsh team. Mm. Uh, but they play as a team, which is you know, what you want. And I think Wales could probably, certainly, possibility of uh, qualifying to the next stage. Um, They're ranked number nineteen at the moment. Nineteen, yeah. They've only been in one World Cup, haven't they? They were in the fifty-eight World Cup, so this is the only the second time they've appeared in the finals. Hmm. What about uh, Gareth Bale's performance for Galaxy then? Is David Beckham's franchise? No, he's, he's got a Miami franchise, hasn't he? Now he used to play. He, he used to play for the LA, but now he's, he's over in Miami with a, a new team now, isn't it? A franchise in the states, um, which is happening. But yeah, I mean, MLS soccer used to be a laughing stock, uh, and it's really improved recently. Um, and I watch a fair bit of that on the telly and enjoy the games. The, the standard of American football. I, I went on holiday in 1990 for the uh, to America, uh, and this was just after Italian 90, and people were walking around wondering who had won it because there was absolutely no publicity whatsoever of any kind of football or soccer over there. And then I went back to America three years ago, and I was really surprised at the amount of goalposts there were in parks and people playing the game. So it's just grown massively in America. Well, the people like um, Gareth Bale are there now and David Beckham has bought one of the franchises and he's a big superstar and I'm sure he's doing a lot of publicity over there because he never travels without publicity, you know, perfumes and boxer yep. shorts and fashion this and fashion that and whatever. <laughs> so I'm sure his brand is out there in the community. 
But the quality of football, is the quality of football good enough in the US to produce a World Cup winning team, Jim? Probably not a World Cup winning team, but certainly a team that is capable of progressing very well in this World Cup. Um, they won't win it. Well, that's it. That's, that's it. Everyone put their money in America now. But no, I can't see them winning it. Uh, but I certainly think they've got the capability of, of a quarter final. And I think the only problem will be the experience in finals tournaments for the United States that will probably let them down. They've had oh. ten World Cup uh, appearances. That's pretty decent. Mm. It is, it is, and uh, but a lot. And they haven't. I don't think they qualified for the last one. So the so the players they've got is this. Their, most of them, their first World Cup they're going to. Will the will the occasion? I, I, I think every team's. I think in America, the, the biggest turning point I think in uh, appreciation for football. Uh, all relates back to the female participation and uh, what happened all these years ago when the the government said that you have to spend you know in the the colleges as much money on the boy side of things the girl side of things as you do for the boy side of things so a lot of these colleges uh, then brought in soccer as their program and uh, and and that developed and that meant that you know america was way ahead of all countries in the world uh, in female participation and yeah. and development, mm. and because they did so well, you know, um, and the female game also being increased, and 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 you know, so that dragged, to my idea, the, the men's game up, and, and and the attention from the public in America up to the, the world game. Uh, why suddenly that has become a lot more popular, and we, uh, why you see people playing? Isn't that crazy? It's kind of a reversal of how Ap- things have happened generally in time in history. But yeah, I mean, you think of some of the amazing Australian players that played over there. Sam Kerr's played over yeah. there. Colette McCullum's played over there. Um, Lisa Devanis played over there. Um, Tom Samadis, our former Matildas coach, has gone over and, and coached over there in the professional league. Um, and that, I think, was the first fully professional league that I remember for women's football. Well, Scandinavia had some, and, and, and you know, but uh, but yeah, it it definitely dragged the game there out of out of you know, the, the obscurity. Yeah. That's right, yeah. and yeah. and it brought the attention of the public. And because they started winning and winning the Olympic Games, which obviously were big uh, tournaments, that mm. suddenly that's where they got the the attention. Yeah. Yeah. Boys and girls started playing more football. Absolutely, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the collegiate system over there is pretty amazing. Um, one assumes that um, it uh, in, invites or pulls males and females from other countries over there but I know that there's players from here in Perth in Australia that have gone over into the collegiate system. Sarah King's one that I can think of who uh, coaches now down in the South West but she played for Arsenal and I remember in the World University Games back in 1993 it was in Canada and Buffalo uh, kind of jointly um, so US, Canada um, there was uh, there was players playing in the collegiate system there, she was one of them and then she went to play for Arsenal and then was drafted in as the Australian goalkeeper. So there was, and, and she's about, from that time, back in the 90s, she was the only person I can think of. Jump forward another 15 or so years and mm. you're into the space of, it's grown at such a trajectory and the opportunities have been incredible. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Well, 
That was a good story, wasn't it, Jimmy? Because that was talking yeah. about the female side of things dragging <laughs> up the men's part. <laughs> but, 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 but when I was just looking into the research for the Americans, and when they were awarded the World Cup in 94, they had absolutely no football structure whatsoever. So the, the then coach of the national team, he went round all the college system looking for the best players, and that's how they he formed his his team in the 94 World Cup. Um, was that, pretty much all the best college players around. Was that Tony DiCiccio? Do you, do you know who the coach was at that time? Yeah. Uh, I think he's, I think you so, know, yeah. It's okay, I might have thrown you under the bus, but his name was <laughs> Yeah, around about that time, possibly. I can't remember if he was the men's or the women's coach, actually. But, yeah, there you go. There's been some pretty high-profile women's... Uh, sorry, females of the, um, of the women's team, and the US have done... You're pretty bloody awesomely, and have had like the Abby Wombucks and Megan Rapinoe and and so forth playing in there. And Hope Solo, she's not playing for the women uh, at the moment, but she's awesome. And yeah. I can't tell you many of the men's team players. I just can't. I don't know. Can you guys think of players? Well, there's a few in the English Premier League. There's a couple at Chelsea and yeah, yeah a couple Pulis- of other clubs. Pulisic. Pulisic at yeah. Chelsea's uh, probably the, the yeah. And there's an American coach too in the UPL. Yeah, the Leeds coach, Jesse Murch, is an that's American it. coach okay. playing for Leeds United. Yep, that's uh, right. And there's that uh, awesome um, series. What's that awesome series on Apple TV about um, that guy? Ted. Ted. Lasso. Yeah. Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso that's yeah. it. Yes. All Love right. that series. That. Yes. You've got to see that, right? Yeah, Ted yeah, Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a note. But talking of, actually, talking to TV, I, I was just looking at when these teams, how many of these teams have played each other before in... Um, in past World Cups and uh, USA versus England if I can take you back to 1950 England had loads of superstars and they were one of the favourites to win that tournament Mm -hmm. and the USA basically fielded a team of the proverbial butchers, bakers and candlestick makers (laughs) and won 1-0 they beat beat England 1-0 and actually made a film out of it so I don't know if you've seen that film called The Game of Their Lives I have not I'm putting that down So there's, there's one for you Good well, that's, that's all about the United States beating England 1-0 in the World Cup finals. Okay. Which is classed, classed as one of the biggest shocks in World Cup history. Oh, nice. All right. And USA ranked number 14, so they're kind of second ranked in the, in the group with England being ranked number five. So what about yeah. um, Iran? How are they looking? Who, who's the players outstanding in that space? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> they've, they've only had six World Cup appearances. We can move on. Well, they have, but they've got some players that are playing in the. Uh, they've got a, a player for Brentford in the EPL Cup, one in Portugal, one in Germany that have scored goals internationally. Um, and I am going to apologise now for any um, any any of these uh, pronunciations. pronunciations. You're going to go for the yeah, but they've got. Yeah, but they. They've got a, a guy, like yeah, mid, midfielder for Brentford, uh, back, uh, Gados, I think his name was. He actually played twice for Sweden in non-competitive games. Um, okay. But he's played 65 times for Brentford, so he's not like a fringe player. He's pretty much one of their first-team players. What division and, Brentford uh, in? Premier League. They're in the EPL. Mm. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm not a big follower of the EPL, you can tell, so you can <laughs> just bring me up to date with what's happening there. And then their, their, their top goal scorer, I think he's, he's called uh, Asmon, plays for Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. And 
internationally, he's got 40 goals in 63 appearances. So Ooh, that's decent. Mm. Anyone that's got that sort of record knows where the back of the net is. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, OK, let's talk about your favourite group then, England. The players that are outstanding in the English team that are going to make an impact. <laughs> well, as I say, they, they're six games without a win. So, you know, it's, it's anyone's guess, isn't it? And, and <laughs> who turns up? I mean, obviously you've got Harry Kane up front uh, from Tottenham. He's the captain, and, and he's only two goals behind Wayne Rooney to get in with the uh, all-time record goal scorer. Um, but if you look, really, I think their best player on form at the moment is one that doesn't play in the EPL, and that's Jude Bellingham, who's in Borussia Dortmund in Germany at the moment. Hmm. He seems, I think he's their captain as well. And uh, he's, he plays in midfield. He's only a young lad. Yeah. 19-year-old lad, and uh, started out at Birmingham City, went... Went over to Germany and now I think is he the next player that Man United, Man City, Liverpool are trying to buy for 80, 90, 100 million next? Wow. Okay. I've got a bit That's of research to do to know more about the English group, uh, the English team then. Mm. So England haven't won the last nth number of games, but do you think yep. they've got the stocks to get their stuff together? Oh, on paper, definitely. They should, you know, should come out of this film, but I think it all bears around to what team the manager is going to pick. Is he going to pick the players that the, the country wants him to pick or is he going to pick the players that he's, he's tested with? And let's give an example there. Trent Alexander-Arnold is probably the best attacking fullback in the EPL and he doesn't want to play him because he doesn't defend. And I think he's more concerned on not losing a game rather than going out to win a game. And a lot of these teams are just going to sit there on the, and hit you on the break. And you've got to go out for a positive attitude and, and win these games, I think. Any team really is depending on if they gel. You know, I mean, yeah. I've seen it so many times where you have a, a team of superstars and they get knocked out in the first round, you know, whereas that same team could be four years later uh, win the championship. If they, they gel and then they progress during the, the competition, you know, it makes makes a big difference, so and, I are, believe. Are you saying that if you included a player like that and he had some failings, you could include another player that kind of balances that and it could work? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not talking about on the field. I'm meaning off the field, gelling as a team okay. off yeah. the field as much as you are on the field. You know, I mean, I've seen it. Holland is renowned for that. Some of the times they, they, they're bigger on, on the, you know, before they get to the tournament, you know. So, uh, and that, that makes the, the big difference. If players think they're not being played enough or and they get people on side uh, against the coach, you know, you, you need to be harmonious as a team. Coach and players need to believe that they're where they're going to go and they want to play for the greater good of the country and the team, you know. So, and, and then I feel like any team, even England, can win the championships. So. so, when you started talking, then I started thinking about Cristiano Ronaldo hmm. and defensively, uh, I'm not quite sure how to articulate a conversation there, but um, attack, attacking wise, he does the business. So he's very good at scoring goals, but does he defend for your team? And would you put him in a team if he had other players that can attack and defend as well? Yet he's still going to be playing for Portugal. I don't know whether he's going to be the captain of Portugal or not. Do mm, we know? Sure. Anyone? No. Well, yeah, he's the captain. I think he is the captain of Portugal. Okay. Yeah. Rightio. So what's your thoughts on that, Jim? Are you saying that put the players in that have amazing <laughs> skills and then put other players in the squad around them that can 
and support that deficit and then the balance is there or don't include them? No, no, I think they should include them. I think that if you've got the talent, you've got the skill, then you should be, you should be in that team. And there's enough defensive-minded midfielders in the England squad that can supplement the attacking of full-backs and the attacking players. Um, and I'm just looking now at the, the midfielders that were in the last couple of games, and, and they're pretty much all defensive midfielders. So you've got the hold, you know, where they can just hold and let the attackers and let the fullbacks who are attacking, let them attack, let them, you know. Mm. That's, that's how I feel. And they've certainly got the firepower up front. Even if Harry Kane went injured, there's still players there that that can take over. And, I mean, look at Phil Foden from Manchester City. He's on red-hot form with, with mm. Haaland. And it's a shame Haaland chose to play for Norway because he was actually born in England. Was he? <laughs> but, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's a yeah, I believe, he, I, I believe he was born in England, but because his dad's Norwegian, he's, he's gone down the Norwegian route. Wow. Um, and, uh, what about it's a shame um, that, Ma- Marcus uh, Rashford, Rashford for Man U? Is he in the squad? Anyone know? Well, the squads have to be announced by the 11th, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. So they've, he's, he's been in, the, in and around the recent squads, but... The last couple of games, um, the last two games against Italy and Germany in the in the Nations Leagues, he wasn't part of those squads. They actually uh, preferred Ivan Tony from Brentford to yeah. take his place, who didn't actually even make a start or an appearance in either of those games. Okay. Um, do you want to have a little chat about the EPL then? So we've kind of touched on it, like uh, you know how teams are going in the EPL, who's sitting on the top, that kind of thing. Do you follow that? Is that what you follow when you watch football generally, Jim? Well, being a Millwall supporter, I'm more of a championship, lower league, non-league type person. I'm always looking down rather than looking up. Join the club. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's happening in your league? Where are Millwall sitting at the moment? Oh, that's funny. Well, we're, 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 we're sitting in a position where we're just under the playoffs. We were absolutely rotten rubbish for the first few games of the season. Then the manager took over, or the manager reformed uh, his shape. He was insistent on a three in the back system that wasn't working. Now we've gone to a four at the back and we've, we're on a unbeaten run of four games. Nice. So uh, we're, we're creeping up the table very slow. We're sitting in eighth place, just one point behind the, uh, behind the playoffs. Okay, so. you've got a few games to go. Improvement. Oh, yeah. It's good that the coach figured yeah. out that the change was going to help. I just heard overnight too that Stephen Gerrard's lost his job with Aston Villa. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, they lost 3 uh, nil. Uh, last night, I think it was, and then they, uh, the, the, the supporters turned and were giving him a little bit of abuse at the end of the game. And I think in England, especially, once the once the manager loses the, the, the support of the, the support of the fans, then um, yeah. I think that's where your, your trouble is, and it's really hard to regain that support of of the fans. So once the team starts losing. Crowd turns on you, and then that's pretty much curtains. It's crazy how it goes, isn't it? When he was at mm. Rangers and did so well, and yeah, yeah. goes to Villa and it fell apart. Mm. And but, such they were, they, but what I, I was listening this morning to a, 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 a football show, and what they were saying is that he lost his assistant manager, who went to QPR to be their first team coach. And uh, ever since then, he's not been the same person. And QPR, Queens Park Rangers, are currently sitting top of the championship now. Yeah, oh. that's right. Yeah. So they. they believe and I also think that Wolverhampton have lost their coach and the, the guy who's now at Queen's Park Rangers um, 
turned down the Wolverhampton job in the Premier League to stay with QPR in the Championship. So there's obviously something going right at that club mm. at the moment. So Stevie just needs to um, do a bit more learning and um, team up with someone who knows Klopp. something that <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> Jim, we're going to leave it there. Uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for no joining problem. us. And uh, if anyone wants to tune in to your podcast, they can go to Next Goal Wins and have a listen. Yep, yep. It's just, uh, it's pretty, obviously in the close season, it's pretty quiet, but we've still got the website, got the podcast that we just update as and when things happen and just keep football, promoting the football in the area, really. Good one. Appreciate your time today, Jim. Thanks very much and enjoy your football over the weekend. Thanks for the invite and uh, have a good weekend, everyone. Good on you, Jim. See ya. Take care. That was Jim Webb. He's got his own football podcast. Boys, thanks for joining us the last two hours to talk football. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Betty. I hope your next week of football goes all right, and you're all welcome to come back in and join me again next time, all right? Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Next up is Len and Bags Groove with Jazz. This is Penny, Steve and Rob. Out until the new team comes in next week from 10 o'clock. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 